All right, you have had uh, some excellent lessons of late. I'm really appreciative of Peter and uh, of Mr. Miller coming in and teaching and uh, Craig teaching. And uh, what I want to do is just recap some things in the book of 1 Corinthians. We are not going to, and Dan Ham, if you do me a favor, if you turn me up just a little bit, that would be great. Thank you. Um, I'm not going to redo, but I'm just going to recap because if you haven't been here or whatever it might be, I'm going to call things maybe just a little bit different. You're not going to have time to write everything down because I'm going to fly through because I really want to get to 1 Corinthians 10 verses 11, 12, and 13. That's where we're, we're heading. Uh, but we know with this book, there are many different sins that Paul has been dealing with, that he's been addressing. We have the introduction to the book of 1 Corinthians. We went through that. And then we began dealing with divisiveness. Divisiveness. And then we started talking about tolerance. Then we looked at lawsuits. And we even talked about your favorite subject, marriage. And now we have transitioned. We've switched to looking at the idea of Christian liberty. But ultimately, in these chapters, we're dealing with idolatry. We're dealing with idolatry. And in Corinth, the, the pictures and the temptation were a little bit different than what we deal with now, but a lot of it is the same. We don't have like Aphrodite tempting us to worship her. Uh, in the Old Testament, you think of the Baals and the Asherah and all of those false gods, the Dagons and stuff like that, right? Those were literal idols that were constructed and set up. You had in the Roman system, you had Caesar was an idol. And you were supposed to, as a good Roman, say Caesar is Lord. And 1 Corinthians does a good job of saying all of those false idols, all of those false gods, they're, they're, they're really no God at all. They're, they're false. There's nothing to them, right? But anything that you elevate in your heart above God is an idol. Is an idol. So you might not be tempted to, to bow down today to Baal, but you may be tempted to bow down to the idol of materialism or selfishness or pride or temptation sexually, whatever it might be, all right? And so this book, these chapters are really helpful for us understanding how we deal with what we call the idols of the heart and how ultimately we go back to love God, love people. Love God, love people. And as I mentioned, we're going to just kind of breeze through this outline here and get to our main chapter. We first of all look at the idea of fighting idolatry with love. And this might be somewhat familiar to you because we just had Halloween or maybe you didn't have Halloween. There's different Christian liberties that we have different opinions on. And how do you handle those things? Like you take Halloween. Did you trick or treat? Oh, you sinner. Did you trick or treat? Oh, you didn't. You're just a holy roller over here. Uh, oh, you listen to something besides Christian music? I can't believe you. I can't believe you would do that. Oh, come on, man, lighten up. And so we looked at this idea of Christian liberty. In Corinth, it was the, the food sacrificed to idols. 
Because what would happen is this food would get sacrificed, these animals would get sacrificed to idols, and then they would be, it would be sold in the marketplace. And then you would go to dinner at someone's house, and you're going down to eat, and you're like, man, that cow looks so delicious. And someone's like, hey, don't eat that. Why not? Did someone, like, not wash their hands before they, that was sacrificed to an idol. Oh, well, still tastes good. What do you mean? An idol's nothing. But that person, their conscience is, because that person most likely used to sacrifice animals to idols and used to worship those idols, and now they have become a believer in Christ, and they want nothing with it. And so what do you do in that circumstance? What do you do in that situation? All right? There are fences that we set up in our, in our life that are helpful, okay? I can say, I'm tempted in this area, so I'm going to put a fence here. So let's say that theoretically there's a teenager that struggles with uh, obsessing over their phone, all right? So a helpful fence, they might say, I'm going to set a time limit on my phone and I can only use it for two hours. That's a fence. And that fence is going to keep me from going over the edge with it. Well, can I take that fence and apply it to you and you and you? Oh, Grady, he, he has his phone set for an hour and a half. Sinner, I can't believe you. I have taken a safeguard and I have, it goes beyond scripture, and I have placed that safeguard upon someone else. And that's not right. That's what you would call legalism. All right, but if I know I have a friend who struggles with that screen time or that social media or whatever, and I, I flaunt it in their face and I just disregard them and I make fun of them for that fence they set up, is that helpful? No, they, they, they need my help and I'm hurting them. So when it comes to the idea of Christian liberty, right, the Bible is very specific on what is sin and what is not sin. To sit down at this dinner and to eat this food is not sin. But if my younger, less mature brother or sister in Christ is truly offended by this. Well, because I have a love for God and a love for others, that's where Paul says, I won't even eat meat. I want, I'm going to do what it takes. We champion our own liberties, don't we? And part of that's being an American is my freedom and my liberties. Well, we must consider what God wants and what others want. In doing so, we can fight the idols of the heart. So Paul concludes, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. That's not saying you should be a vegetarian. Okay? He's looking at this idea of, if they have put a fence in place... In their walk, I am not going to go on the other side of the fence and taunt them and make fun of them for that fence. I'm going to help them, and I am going to guide them. For me, in high school, we, we walked through Philippians 4.8, and you work through that in your memorization, right? You're talking about, finally, brethren, whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever, all of those things. And then Rocky would emphasize that that's a grid, any music choice. Any TV show, any movie show, all right? You put it through that grid. And if that movie or that music is taking your mind somewhere other than that, well, then you really have to, to root it out, to reconsider, to evaluate, okay? And as you grow and you mature in certain areas, there are certain 
temptations that aren't a temptation anymore. But if you want to put a fence up to help you and to guide you, that's a good thing for purity, right? But you can't take that fence and put that fence on other people. You need to have a love for God and a love for others. When we get to chapter 9, we're beginning to talk about attacking idolatry with dedication. Attacking idolatry with dedication. John MacArthur says that in chapter 8, Paul set out the limits of Christian liberty. Limits that are to be determined by brotherly love, by concern of the welfare of fellow Christians. He summarizes the principle as, take care lest this liberty of yours somehow becomes a stumbling block to the weak. In chapter 9, the apostle illustrates how he followed the principle in his own life. And I know for the guys with Wabi, I know the ladies were with Crystal. uh, The guys, he really asked you to consider, do you really love the people around you? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice for those others? How dedicated are you to the cross? How dedicated are you to the others that are with you? Paul was all out, sold out for the gospel and for others. A hundred percent serving the Lord in this. Remember that idea. I, I love meat. Meat's delicious. But he says, I am so dedicated to this that if it means that I give up one of my liberties to help advance the gospel and win others to Christ, I will. In the first part of chapter 9, we have Paul's right to remuneration, to to payment. Chapter 9, verse 1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. You are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we all not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not all have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest? Or do only Barnabas and I have the right to refrain from working? Who at times serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of the uh, fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? He is establishing as a worker of the gospel, he has every right to be compensated. And I agree. That's a good thing, right? Our church pays staff people, pays men, and it frees us up to, to study the word and to counsel and to plan things and to do stuff like that. But Paul refuses this. He refuses this. Why? Because when he rolls into a new town, And he preaches the good news. If he's only supported by the people that he's preaching to, help me out here, what might people think? What might be confusing to them? Isaiah? This guy just wants my money. Okay? Of course he's going to preach about this because he just wants my money. And so Paul didn't want any confusion. So he says, I have every right for y'all to compensate me but I don't want it. I'm going to keep making tents, all right? I'm going to show you I'm not about the money, that I'm about you and about loving you. So that's how dedicated he was to this. He showed the restraint required. He wasn't like Abu in the the temple of, I haven't seen that movie in so long. What'd they call it? The Cave of Wonders. It's all that little room. Have you kids even seen the cartoon Aladdin? Okay, good. I'm just trying to figure out my target audience. If you haven't, it's okay. That dumb little monkey. Touch anything but this thing and what does he do? He was so tempted he just grabbed it. Verse 19. Let's look at that. 
For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all men so that I may win more. Is that true of you? Are you willing to say that? I'll do whatever it takes to win people to Christ. To the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the laws, under the law, though not being uh, myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak so that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I may be all means, save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. That's the restraint required. Look, if I'm with Jews and I need to, to wash my hands or to do things that are not offensive to them, that help me love and care for them, I'm going to do that. You, you, you see that with Timothy. You see uh, that in Acts 18, that there was a vow that he made. There was a purification ritual that Paul went through. He didn't have to go through it anymore, but he did that. To the Gentile, there's examples like in Colossians, and he makes himself like them. To the weak, he, becomes, he becomes weak. You see that like in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, I did not come with you with superiority of speech or of wisdom. I determined to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. I'm with you guys. I, I'm trying to sort this out too. Help, I'll help you. You help me. That's the restraint that is required. Paul didn't just blaze through life doing things his way. He wanted to do them God's way. Verse 23, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Well, we see the restraint required that it requires sacrifice and dedication. Do you not know that all who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Now, this is talking about the Christian walk, the Christian race. We're in this race. It's a marathon. How do I do that? Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Would you characterize your life as a life of self-control? as a life of purpose, as a life of focus. We need to dedicate ourselves to restrain our life, our lusts, our desires, our passions, our wants, to conform to the image of Christ so that we may present Christ to others. Sent Christ to others. How hard are you willing to train for the gospel? There's lots of things that we do to train you. Just being here on Sunday and Wednesday is awesome. Making that sacrifice in your schedule, prioritizing that, coming here and sitting under the teaching of the Word. But we also give you a reading plan. And when we rolled around to the Minor Prophets this month, how do you said peace? I'm just going to read the Christmas story for 25 straight days until I get to open those presents. Guys, there's hard concepts in there. And so we gave you the introductory information. And you got to read and you got to get a study Bible and you got to read some notes on it. 
Are you even reading? I, I don't want to skip over those things because there's value, there's beauty in, in what you're reading. <clears throat> the memorization plan. Are you bothering with any of it? We're, we're changing it up. We're working on James. I'm giving you a verse each week to focus on. There's, there's richness and there, there's beauty in all of those things. Are you going to pray? And I know we harp on those things, but those, that's, that's your training. Imagine telling, uh, you know, your, your violin teacher, I'm just going to show up at the concert and wing it. Imagine telling your football coach, I don't really feel like ever lifting. And the whole practice thing's optional for me, right? You take care of these daily disciplines, these daily spiritual disciplines, so that you can further the gospel. What are you willing to sacrifice for the gospel? <coughs> what are you willing to sacrifice? Is it time, effort, energy, other pursuits? Are you going to give of yourself to further Christ? Now we're going to deal, um, we're going to battle idolatry with recollection. With recollection. Remembering Israel's mistakes. Look at chapter 10. And of all things about Israel, we probably remember their mistakes the most. All right? Just off the top of your head. Help me out here. What were some of the key mistakes that Israel made? Okay, Isaiah? Yeah, they persecuted and killed the Messiah. The promised one from Genesis 3. He came. He proved himself and they crucified him. What else about Israel? Come on, wake up. You know what they did. I conveniently know your name, so I can just call in your name. Will. Yeah, idolatry. You have an example? <laughs> right after they got out of Egypt. Right after they got out of Egypt, Moses goes up on the mountain. They say, well, Moses is taking too long. Aaron, make us a golden calf. All right, sounds good. That's our God. That's who let us out. What? They were fearful. God said, I gave you this land. They scouted out and they said, no way, not going to happen. Those people are too big and too strong and too mighty. Wait, Reagan. Yeah, they, they disobeyed, right? God would send prophets and they would arrest them and they would kill them and all sorts of stuff. Guys, Israel was God's chosen people. They were given the oracles of God. They were loved. They were cared for. They were provided in wondrous ways. And they threw it in God's face. God, you're not good enough. Give us a king. God, we don't like this manna. Give us something else. We're thirsty. Give us some water. Grumbling, complaining, idolatry. But you know what? Can we not be just like them? Can we not grumble and complain? Can we not set up idols of our heart? Yeah. So instead of dogpiling on Israel, we look at Israel and how God loved them and dealt with them, and we take those mistakes and we don't do it. All right? And in sports, it's often for the coach to sit down and watch the game film. So we'd have a game on Friday night, and we'd watch game film on Saturday morning, and that was not always pleasant. Because in front of everyone, the coach, they had this wonderful little clicker. And they could pause in a moment and rewind and pause in a moment and rewind. And they're like, hey, what were you doing there? I don't know, coach. What? I don't know, coach. I'll tell you. And it was just, it was awkward, right? Yeah. 
But those things were helpful for review. So the next time you didn't do that stuff, right? So we have a very vivid picture of what Israel did and the decisions they made. Are you going to sit there and make the same mistakes? Look at verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. There was a whole generation that was obliterated and didn't get to even go into the promised land. Their children went into the promised land. But they didn't get to, but they all saw the goodness and the graciousness and the power and the wonder of God. But God was not pleased with most of them. God was not pleased. You see the divine blessings in verses 1 through 4. You see the divine person that is the rock of Christ. Remember the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that was Christ guiding them. You see the divine judgment in verse 5. The divine judgment in verse 5. Well, let's remember their mistakes, but then let's learn from those mistakes. Learn. Remember the, you heard that phrase, the very definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? Well, don't be like Israel. Look, do, do you have blessings? You have family that loves you. You have a church that feeds you. You have youth leaders that teach you. You have a God who made you and sustains you. You have clarity of the, the scriptures. And though he's not raining down manna for you each and every day, you have the, the simple things of life that you need, the provision. And so what should your response be? Some of you haven't even believed in Jesus. You're wholeheartedly ho-humming, walking along. The first thing is to repent and place your faith in Jesus. And then you trust him and you walk with him and you obey him and you live with him. You live for him. Pay attention to the past. Verse 6. Now these things happened as examples for us. So that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. Now that's wild, right? Now this, the, what happened in the Old Testament is 100% true. It's genuine. But an aspect of what happened and it being recorded was for us. It was for us. When your parents say, hey, when I was your age, I ended up doing this and it didn't turn out so well for me. Well, why are they telling you that? So you won't do the same thing. And then what do you end up doing? Hopefully not the same thing. All right? I, I had a, a youth leader when I was in the youth group and he didn't come to know Christ until later. And he said, guys, I live for myself through college. I satisfied the lusts of the flesh and the desires that were out there. And I don't want you to look at that and say, well, he made it through. I'm going to do the same thing and then later I'll believe in Jesus. He said, I'm telling you, I did it and it was terrible. There was a, a, a snake pit. And you're walking right to that snake pit and I'm standing outside of it. And I'm telling you, no, go the other way. Run to Jesus. 
Those things that I got to do weren't worth it and I never want to do them again. You have so much of your life ahead of you, you think. In a moment's notice, things can change. Live for Christ now. Pay attention to the past. Look what happened. Does God's enemy ever win? Ever? Well, stop fighting him. Watch your priorities. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. They found things they loved more than God, and they pursued them. They created gods of their own making so that they can do whatever sinful deed and sinful action they wanted and be justified. That's why in Corinth, I've explained this, part of the idol worship was uniting yourself with a prostitute. And they thought that that devious sexual act was somehow a worship to God. How do you get there? You harden your heart and you come up with a God of your own choosing. Guard your morals. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day. And that's from Numbers 25. Don't give in to immorality. Strive for obedience. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did. And were destroyed by the serpents. Strive for obedience. Learn to be content. Nor grumble as some of them did. And were destroyed by the destroyer. This is Snakes. The destroy, I mean, woo, lots of tough stuff. God was teaching them, and we need to learn from those mistakes. And here we come to part two, and ultimately, this is the section that I, I want to focus on for the rest of our time. Follow along with me. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Huge verse. Memorize this verse. Mark this verse. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. In verse 11, we have the timeless truth. In verse 12, we have the well-timed warning, and we'll come back to this. And then in verse 13, we have the effective encouragement. No temptation has overtaken. You know you don't have to give in to any temptation. God will see you through. You never, Christian, you never have to sin again because God is faithful and because God will empower you. Let's, let's talk through these. Let's look at the timeless truth. What are we saying here? Now, these things, these things, going back to the, every example you can think of with Israel, it happened to them as an example to us. Something that we look at. Something that we learn from. Something that we say, it didn't work out for him. It didn't work out for her. 
They were defeated. They were killed. They didn't enter into the promised land. They didn't receive the full blessing of a life lived for God. All of them were written for our very instruction. They are written for our instruction. Now it is Christmas time and as a dad, there are times we buy something and I get instructions to put it together. And I have to put those away. Kim's looking at me. I've done it before, right? Most of those instructions were written by the most incompetent people ever. So as a man, I have to blaze my own trail, right? And then after I fail, I go back to those instructions and then I humble myself and I try to put something together and do those things. Everything from Israel was written and recorded for our instruction. Are you going to listen? The well-timed warning. The well-timed warning. Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Learn from our friend, the little mouse. Why does this contraption ever work? Can you not see that there's something there to kill you? Can you not understand that? Have you not talked to your little mouse friends to know that if you go take that cheese, that Mickey the mouse is going to get squished? You're at a point in life, okay? You're at a point in life. You're, you're smart. You're learning so much. You're growing. You're developing. You're wanting to go out on your own. Sometimes you feel that you are invincible. That you know better than mom and dad. That you'll figure it out. That there'll be no consequences. Guys, within the next few years, you might drastically destroy or alter your life with some of the decisions that you make. Just like Israel was a picture for us to learn from, I could go through example after example of youth that thought they knew better whether it was running after sexual immorality, whether it was drunkenness, whether it was materialism. Hey, I'm going to go off to that place, and I know there's no good church there, but i got to go to college over there. I know there's no church, but it's all going to work out for me. I'm going to stay dedicated to the Lord. But sometimes you feel like you're going to be here forever. That you can run through that wall, that you're going to survive. That's why people like jump off bridges and cliffs and do stupid stuff like that and things, all right? But what you need to understand, you need to take heed lest you fall. For the unbeliever, okay, you are already a slave to your sin. When we talk about no temptation has overtaken you, unbeliever, that temptation you are chained to. You are a slave to your sin. You are dead in your sin. And you are going to fail and fail and fail. And even if you become a millionaire and get everything you want out of this life, you will still fail in the judgment day. And that money will not appease you and will not satisfy you. Take the warnings of Scripture. Repent and go to your Savior that loves you. And he will forgive you, he will redeem you, he will wash you, he will give you peace, he will give you contentment, he will give you purpose and fellowship, a community. But Christian, 
we need to be careful that we look at the choices ahead of us and understand we can give in to sin, can we not? David, a man after God's own heart, was out on the rooftop. Shouldn't have been out on the rooftop. Put himself in a bad situation. He's the, a man after God's own heart. He killed Goliath, people. But he put himself in a compromising situation that snowballed to disaster and ripped his kingdom apart. He's got, you know, kids fighting kids because of the things of his life. And you can be a Christian, washed by the blood of the Lamb, and you can still make very sinful decisions that have huge ramifications. And so we need to think of our life and take heed that we don't fall. You think of David, right? You think of Solomon, the wisest person ever outside of Jesus. But the women that he married tore his heart away. And it wasn't until later in life. It wasn't until later in life. You think of even Adam in a moment's time. God said, don't eat this. And in a moment's time, he fell. You go on and on and on. Can you heed this warning? What about your entertainment choices? I don't want to get legalistic with this, okay? But we can say, you know what? I can watch anything and it doesn't affect me. I can listen to anything and it doesn't affect me. The world is trying to ingrain things into your mind, concepts, temptations. It's trying to blur the lines of your testimony. The words that come up, you know what? Swear words really don't affect me that much. But the next thing you know, something happens and one of them pops in your mind. The next thing you know, it pops out of your mouth. The things that it's glorifying and it's presenting. Are you guarding your heart in those areas? It's... There's gateway things that kind of get you hooked a little bit and then you push a little farther and you push a little farther and the next thing you know, idolatry. Think of American idols, not the singers, okay? The awe and wonder of your peers. Is your approval, is your coolness level, is that going to cause you to follow after and isolate and be mean to other people? To tear them down, to lift yourself up? Is it going to cause you to spend too much time worrying about your appearance that you're not reading the word and praying and memorizing? What about pleasure and materialism? These are all common idols of the heart. A comfortable life, ease and happiness. Now happiness is a good thing. Comfort can be a good thing. But there are times we've got to step outside of that. We have to sacrifice and be willing to go through trials. Get rid of those idols of your heart. No temptation has overtaken you. The, re the reality is, we are all slaves to our sin. But when we placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He made us alive in Christ. He broke the shackles of our dependency and our enslavement to sin. 
So now we never have to sin again, ever. You ever get that excuse? I had to sin. No, you never have to sin. But you have the Holy Spirit who indwells you. You're a new creation. But there's still this unredeemed humanness that we battle with. And you will sin until you're redeemed and in glory with God. So at any moment, you need to think at any moment, I, could, I can do that wrong thing. I can make that wrong choice. So I must be vigilant. You think of the watchman who's on the tower. And he has a job. He's there watching for the enemy. And if he sees the enemy, mayday, mayday, warning, warning, here we go. You have to think that way with sin. And safeguard yourself, but realize that no temptation is too great. No temptation do you have to give in to. <coughs> the basic meaning of temptation is simply to test or prove. And it has no negative connotation. Whether it becomes a proof of righteousness or an inducement to evil depends on our response. If we resist it in God's power, it is a test that proves our faithfulness. If we do not resist, it becomes a solicitation to sin. So let's say that you're scrolling through your phone and an impure image pops up. Well, that's not sin for that to pop up. The sin is what happens next. Do you turn it off? Do you delete it? Do you move on? Do you do something different? Or do you lust and do you linger over it? The temptation came. I overcame the temptation. I won the trial. I grow in Christ's likeness. I see. I give in. It's bad. Someone says something bad about you. There's the temptation. I might get angry. I might fight back. I might say something bad about them. Or I might trust the Lord and put that off and overcome. But it's all common to man. And what's the implication from this? Mom and dad, you just don't know what I'm going through. You ever use that line? <laughs> like they weren't your age, okay? It's all just a cycle. Immorality, materialism, selfishness, pride. It's the same dumb sin over and over and over. Now Satan sometimes repackages it a little bit. Same thing. We're all in this together. We've all seen this. We've all been through this. There's nothing so great that it has to overtake you. Why? Because God is faithful. All sin is ultimately a mistrust of God. Because God says, I've got you. I've washed you. I've saved you. I've gifted you with the Holy Spirit so that you have love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control, all those things. And when we turn our back and choose sin, we're saying, God, this is better than you. God, I love this more than you. God, I trust this more than you. But if you have that mindset that God is faithful and God loves you and that God will see you through and that God has the best plan for your life, God's given you parents. And sometimes it's hard to honor and obey them. But do you trust God? God is faithful. Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He will. 
He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. As you grow in Christ's likeness, never at a time will God give you an impossible situation that you have to give into. He will guard you and he will shield you. But you're like, but, but, but I just sinned this morning. I just sinned this morning. Well, you didn't have to. You didn't have to. You think of the disciples in the garden. Remember how they were sleepy? And Jesus said, pray so that you will stay vigilant. Well, they gave in to their, their sleepiness, their, their laziness. What's the implication from all of this? God being faithful always gives us that exit point. It says, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. What is this way of escape? Well, well, we'll look at that, okay? Let's look at the temptation of Christ. And this is a great example. You're very familiar with this. Matthew 4. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. We'll come back to that. He then became hungry. Well, yes. And the tempter came and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered, it is written, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the way of escape, God didn't pop up an exit portal so Jesus can run through and not be tempted. He had already given him the word of God, and so he accesses the word of God and says, no, God is faithful. It is written, God's word says this, get out of my face with that temptation. Says, then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He's going to use scripture. Oh, it is written. I got an it is written for you. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan, what, what, what would accomplish what you're talking to me about right now? I, I'm not going to test God like that. I don't need to do that. I'm going to go back to the word. And I'm going to say, get out of my face with that temptation. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Satan, are you kidding me? <laughs> Jesus said, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There's a point where he's saying, just get out of here. I'm done with this. I don't need to banter back and forth with you anymore. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him, to serve him. When we look at this way of escape, Jesus had an unwavering trust in God, right? And I know, second Aladdin reference, sorry about that. Remember the whole, do you trust me? And she trusted him, so she got on the stick or the rug or whatever it was or something like that, okay? God, do you trust him? Do you trust him? You should because God is faithful. He's powerful. He knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to succeed. But the preparation, guys, this is what we forget. Jesus fasted for 40 days before the temptation. He was ready. Bring it on. Let's go. We 
eke through life with little sleep and little time for the word and, and then we're tired and we're grumpy and, and we're worried and we're anxious but we won't go to God in prayer and then something comes up and we snap and we, we choose something that's not right. There must be the preparation. Think of the essentials. Bible study. The Bible study reminds us of Israel's mistakes and that we shouldn't be doing those things. Fellowship. Is it easier to battle alone or to battle with other people? Wars are fought with soldiers side by side. Focus. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Set your mind on Christ. Those witnesses that are an example to us and put off and put on. Colossians 3, you've done that with your memory work. Set your mind on things above, put off sin, put on righteousness. But if you don't put in the work for the preparation, praying, God, I know today I have this situation coming up and I'm very tempted to cheat. I'm very tempted to lie. You know what, there's this person, Lord, and they upset me every time I talk with them. I would ask that you would help prepare me. Re recall your word to my mind. So that I may respond in a Christ-honoring manner. Lord God, I know that it's, it's late at night. And when it's late at night, I tend to scroll through things that I shouldn't scroll through. Give me victory over my sin. Help me, God, talk to my parents about putting time limits and restraints and fences that would be helpful for me. God, you are faithful. Help me to prepare my life and to prepare my heart to access the goodness that you have given to me. We think this way of escape, temptation comes up, and we just hop through some portal and we're gone. We need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling so that like Jesus... When the temptation comes, we recognize it as something that is common to all man. We recognize it as something that he will give us the victory over. And we access that victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. Pray that we would identify idols in our heart. That we would root those out. That we would give those to you. Lord, when we stumble and when we fail, may we recognize that you're there to love us and to care for us. May we repent and ask for forgiveness. But may we get back up and learn from that. And learn from your word and learn from Israel. And not make the same sinful choices again. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.